Welcome to Mintel's Little Conversation, which is real conversations with actionable insights into what consumers want and why. I'm Lynn Dornblazer, Director of Innovation and Insight at Mintel, and today we're discussing mood and cognition. I'm joined by Stephanie Matucci, who's one of the directors on our food and drink platform and is also a certified food scientist. Welcome, Steph. Hi, Lynn. Thanks for having me. So mood and cognition. Well, it feels like this is a topic we've been talking about for a really long time, of course, during the pandemic, but it feels like even before that. What we're talking about is the products and the ingredients behind those products that help elevate mood, help you feel calmer, help you feel more energized, improve brain health, improve cognition, and reduce stress. That's a lot of different things to talk about, but really big picture, that's our subject today. Why now? Why is it important now? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, it's definitely been an area of health that's been starting to get some more traction. Um, Even before the pandemic, we started talking about the importance of mental health, but with the pandemic and all of the um, effects that had on our physical and mental health, it really brought this issue top of mind for so many people. So many people struggling with this, looking for help for maybe the first time um, and finding support in that area. And I think even though we've been talking about it, the pandemic has been three years since it started, almost almost three and a half, yeah. four years, right, Lynn? Yeah. So um, these issues, though, haven't gone away. I mean, these are still big issues that people are facing. And um, now that we're talking about it, I don't think we're going to stop. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Does it feel like it just takes companies a little while to get products out onto the market or figure out what it is that they should be doing? Well, that too, it's, it's the product side, but also, you know, we may be talking about it, but when it comes to something like mental health and brain health and supporting that, um, you know, there's lots of areas where people can, can turn for support. It could be with a therapist, with, um, other behavioral activities. Food and drink is one of those newer areas, though, when we're talking about supporting it. And it's, it's interesting. You know, if you think about, um, you know, we eat a lot of food, right, to support our, our health. We eat it for a healthy heart, a healthy bones. You know, you see all those claims. But when you talk about your brain, we don't really think about what we need to eat for that. Um, you know, if it's, it's kind of disassociated, anything above your neck is not really something we think about right. because you're not looking at it, basically. Yeah, exactly. Not something you feel like you have to feed in some way. Yeah. Right, mm-hmm. right. Mm-hmm. But we're starting to talk about that more and looking at, um, you know, the foods to eat, the nutrients to really focus on to support a healthy brain. And with that goes into supporting mood and, and cognitive health too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So what are some of those ingredients? Um, you know, really one of the big ones is antioxidants. That's, that's huge for all health, but also brain health. Um, specifically, some other nutrients out there, things like B vitamins are great. Um, one of the other things I wanted to mention, Lynn, is that, um, you know, when we're talking about this, like your brain is what makes you who you are. It's responsible for your mood and your thoughts and your actions. So it can be a little bit scary to think about trying something that might alter that. I mean, some people may do that recre- recreationally <laughs> and, and be fine with that. Um, but on a day-to-day functioning basis, you know, you might not want to be tampering with that when you need to be at your best at work and, and things like that. <laughs> right. No kidding. Yeah. So so I assume then that that leads to some consumer concern or consumer pushback right. in terms of yeah. accepting these kinds of products. 
Exactly. So I think there's a whole range of things out there that you can you can look at in terms of developing in that space. You know, you can start with some of those more familiar, trustworthy ingredients or nutrients, you know, things like B vitamins that are proven to support, um, you know, mental health and cognition and energy and things like that. Um, and then you can go more onto the the newer fringy side, things like adaptogens, which help your body cope with stress and can also boost that that energy and um, mental clarity. Do consumers even know what adaptogens are? A few of them do. <laughs> okay. so, so right now, uh, when we ask consumers about their engagement with, with foods, functional food and drinks that have things, for adaptogens, only 7% of U.S. consumers are currently eating food and drink products with adaptogens. So it's pretty low at this time. But I do think the the interest in looking for ways to have those functional benefits and reduce stress um, will we'll give these a lot of potential. And it may be more in the supplement side of things when you're looking for something with more efficacy. Um, but that doesn't mean that there aren't options for for things like that to emerge in some more functional food and drink spaces, especially the beverages. That's where we're seeing a lot of the activity when it comes to adaptogens. Well, I mean, since you and I have talked about this and I've seen you talk about adaptogens and I've talked about adaptogens, I've got a kind of a handle on what those are, but I bet a lot of people listening are thinking adapto what now? Or they're just <laughs> not sure what adaptogens are. So talk a little bit about sure. what those things are. Yep. So adaptogens, simply put, it's a, they're a group of herbal substances that are known to promote balance within the body and help you cope with stress. So there's a variety out there and depending on who you're talking to and what definition you're going to, to find, it's not like there is a set definition for an adaptogen. There's not a regulatory um, guideline on that, but some of the top ones that are in play right now would be something like ashwagandha. So that's also known as Indian ginseng. It's used in Ayurvedic medicine. Um, really common there. I think that does have some approved health benefits um, in, in some markets. So re- related to stress reduction and has been really well studied um, some of the specific uh, varietals of that. And then there's also um, holy basil, which is another one that I see a lot in products also goes by the name Tulsi in um, Ayurvedic medicine. A lot of, um, you know, stress relief. That's the whole point of, of uh, adaptogens is coping with stress, but also having that positive effect on memory and uh, cognitive function. So that's another interesting one to look at, especially through the the healthy aging um, mm-hmm. lens. Um, and then let's see the other one. Maca is another big one for energy, other ginsengs. Um, yep. So those would be some of the big ones. So, so it sounds like then thinking globally, even though you and I are based uh, out of Mintel Chicago office, thinking globally, it sounds like some of these adaptogens are better known in certain parts of the world and common, commonly used in certain parts of the world. Yes, yeah, some of them are, are rooted in traditional medicine. Um, Shisandra is another one that's rooted in, in traditional Chinese medicine. So there's a lot we can learn from from these um, these areas of health and how that can help us in, in day-to-day um, life from other cultures. So, One of the things that you alluded to when you were talking about some of the adaptogens is the lack of um, regulatory guidance on many of these. Is that a challenge then for companies if they're thinking about formulating with these products? What do they need to watch out for? 
Yeah, I think that's certainly going to be dependent on the market that you're in and, and what you're allowed to include or not include. And that's going to vary. And I'm not going to go into a whole uh, regulatory discussion too. But there's also formulation challenges too, in terms of the taste. Some, if, uh, you know, Herbal ingredients have very bitter off notes and, and things like that. So that's also a challenge too when incorporating into like a functional food or drink product, um, which is one of the reasons why I think supplements is going to be where you see more of that activity um, versus food and drink space. But, you know, if we go back to the, the conversation about how can we help people support their brains? What can we do? There's a lot of options there beyond just the adaptogens. So, you know, the B vitamins I mentioned, choline is another one that I think is really exciting. Um, choline is, is a nutrient that most of us do not get enough. In fact, 90% of Americans aren't meeting the adequate intake for choline. So it's definitely something that we need to have more of. Um, a lot of the activity right now is just in baby food, um, prenatal vitamins, which that's increased a lot um, in the last four years, which has been great to, to see that. Um, but in terms of it's, it's a nutrient that can benefit throughout the lifespan. So, well, I think that's another one that could be looked at as well. Um, that might be a little bit safer in terms of perception of, um, of use just because it's something we do need. So what for the the non-food scientists in the group like me, um, what does choline do and where do you get it? How do you get it? Yeah, so choline, um, it's an essential nutrient. It helps create the neurotransmitter acetylcholine. Um, it plays a really crucial role in nerve conduction and cognitive functions such as memory. Um, and it supports some other, it converts into other compounds that, that supports other systems too, like like liver health. So in the diet, um, choline, a lot of uh, fruits and vegetables, leafy, you know, dark leafy greens, uh, things like eggs, also really good sources of choline in the diet. But a lot of people aren't getting enough, as I mentioned. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we certainly do know that consumers don't get enough vegetables. They don't get enough leafy greens, all of that. Mm -hmm. um, but it feels like one thing that they do get enough of, at least certainly in my house, but I think something that we do get enough of, which has its downsides, but factors into our topic today is caffeine. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's a great, great one. And I think there's a whole range of caffeine ingredients, alternative sources of caffeine too, that are emerging that can be a familiar um, ingredient. I mean, it's probably the the probably the number one thing people go to for a, an energy boost, right, or a mental boost. <laughs> At least for me, anyway. Um, and our and our research shows that we know that uh, about fifty five percent of consumers say they currently eat or drink a food or drink product with caffeine, and eighty three percent of those are having caffeine at least once per day. Um, exactly. But with caffeine, I mean, not everyone tolerates it the same way, right, Lynn? So um, there was a while ago, they had a lot of those uh, DNA tests. I don't know if, if you uh, took any of those DNA diet tests and kind of seen what your uh, tolerance is to various things. And at the time, it was almost like a, uh, a fortune teller, you know, kind of telling you things about yourself that you already know a little bit about. Um, but one of those elements was things like a caffeine. And I have a friend who, who took the same test and I came back 
you know, I could have all the caffeine I wanted, basically, and my friend, very low caffeine tolerance. And, um, <laughs> you know, we already knew that about ourselves, but I think that just opens the door to really go, okay, we need to make products out there that are going to suit people, whatever their spectrum is on the, on the range of tolerance for, for something like caffeine and really for anything else. I mean, when we're talking about personalization, it's that ability to, to dial into what your body needs for you at that time. Yeah. I was going to say that links to the quagmire that companies really have to watch out for. And that is talking about efficacy because with, it feels Mm -hmm. like with these types of ingredients, it's not the same as with other things that you might eat with other functional benefits because of those personal tolerances and your, your own makeup and what your body can, can handle. So that's a, that also has to be a huge challenge for companies. Absolutely. And with something like caffeine, I mean, I do think that is a substance that is familiar enough to people in terms of how they tolerate it. So what I've been seeing is with some of the newer alternative sources of caffeine. So things like, um, Yapinhali, I'm sorry, um, Guayusa, um, Ermate, products using those ingredients, talking about how much caffeine they have for serving in the context of a cup of coffee, um, you know, relating it to it has one cup of coffee or it's this many milligrams, but making that connection. Um, and it, of course, there are variations in how you brew your coffee and how much caffeine is in it. But in general, you have a sense of, of how much you can tolerate one cup, two cups, mm-hmm. you know, things mm-hmm. like that, half mm-hmm. a cup. Are there other advantages yeah. to some of those alternate caffeine sources? There are. Some of them are promoting um, the ability to give you some of that energy boost without the jittery side effects that caffeine can cause in some people. Excellent. So we're seeing that being talked about or even different blends. So blending some of those adaptogens, as we talked about earlier, blending those with caffeine to kind of mellow that effect. I saw a really interesting mushroom coffee from South Africa that was blending different um, functional mushrooms with with the caffeine there uh, to, to reduce some of those jittery side effects. Mm. Um, I had the opportunity at a client event to see and taste one of those mushroom coffees. Mm, What Um, did you think? Well, I'm someone who puts milk in my coffee and uh, to my mind, it really needed that because it did have some funky... It didn't taste like mushroom, but it had some earthy, funky flavor components to it that were yeah. very different from coffee. Um, yeah. But it did garner a lot of interest because the the overwhelming statement was, this tastes way better than I thought it was going to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So Interesting. Well, when you said you add milk to your coffee, was it... Was it kind of bitter? The um, yes, the mushroom coffee. So that so that's when you, when you're adding milk to your coffee, you're actually helping reduce that bitterness and it just naturally. So that could be that would definitely um, be interesting to try that in the mushroom coffee too. Yeah, but um, especially if you're a person who's more sensitive to bitter taste, that's about like a, a quarter of the population there. So okay, um, there's range to accommodate them as yep. well. <laughs> cool. Um, yeah. So. That that leads me to think about something that I know I talk about all the time about innovation and about new products and new ingredients and uh, and functionality, especially. And that is all of these things are important, but it, they're not the most important thing. You know, the most important yeah, thing. Gotta taste good. Gotta taste good. It's <laughs> gotta taste good. Um, yep. What? 
What kinds of formulation challenges are there then with some of these ingredients for mood and cognition? Yep, I would say that bitterness is certainly part of that um, for any of those herbal ingredients and bringing those in. And then at the same time, balancing that with the um, continued pressure on sugar reduction and, and how that works out, um, you know, blending and having those synergies with products, but not having them too sugary. Um, that is being also looked at for health mm-hmm, too. So. Mm-hmm. That seems like yeah. one of a wide range of challenges that that companies have to face when they're thinking about formulating for for mood and cognition. Um, what should companies do to like reassure consumers about the ingredients and about not about their safety or their efficacy so much, but that mm-hmm. that these are products that are something that they need to think about and that it's okay to try them. Well, I think first we need to get people to start thinking. It's kind of a, a couple steps there, right? So first we have to get that association between what you eat affecting your brain. We do see that has been moving. People are um, associating that. They're looking for a healthy diet to support a healthy brain. I think it's about 40% of you as consumers right now. Um, you know, interested in, in a diet that's going to maintain their brain function. So it'd be nice to see that a little bit higher uh, to get involved with, as I was mentioning earlier, what you need to eat for a healthy brain. Um, but then then going, breaking it down to what specifically that is, what it's what the benefits are. So it's kind of first that awareness and then dial it into the specifics. So in general, starting off with kind of those um, bigger picture things mm-hmm. for supporting overall brain yeah. health. Right. And then maybe yeah. to the point that you made in the very beginning is um, starting with the easy things like the mm-hmm. consumers understand, yep. like antioxidants and B vitamins. Yeah. And even going, you know, a step further back to to the actual fruits that are, you know, blueberries are usually that top fruit that's being associated with cognitive health and, you know, um, associated with reducing dementia risk and, and things like that. So, you know, b- blueberries, definitely a, a a good brain food there, um, but other berries as well. I'm not trying to exclude other berries. Just <laughs> are there are there companies that are doing um, some really interesting things or are forging a new path? Maybe when it comes to talking about this. Yep, I've seen a couple examples of products starting to talk about that on ha- on pack. So an interesting product from Dole with a smoothie kit that's talking about it's a it's a berry spark and it's talking about the connection there for for functional or brain health there. So and I think things like that really familiar ingredients. It has the blueberries um, and other other berries there that um, you know are connecting to brain health in a very familiar way can get consumers to start to think about this idea and start about thinking about eating for their brain. Um, there's a couple other products out there too that are doing that, but in a really um, tangible, you know, accessible way, you know, with things that they're already eating and then starting to increase that awareness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That, um, yeah. that, that, that that's a product from Dole that actually answers one of my questions, but I would like you yeah. to talk about it a little bit. And that is, I was going to ask, is this, is this whole idea of brain health and cognitive health, is it just for niche companies? And it isn't, is it? No, I think, no, I think there is, is such a big space in terms of the needs to, to meet, you know, from everything from just supporting general good brain health um, with, with good nutrients 
to, um, you know, going on the other side of the, all the things that affect your brain, sleep, stress, um, you know, all of those other areas. You can go from the familiar ingredients, you can go to the more niche ingredients, things like adaptogens. Um, there's a lot of room there for people to play no matter where they are in this space, mm-hmm. um, for sure. It feels like companies can look a lot of different places for inspiration. Um, one of the things that popped into my head as we were talking is how we see a lot of focus, word intended, um, with supplements and beverages specifically for gamers that focus mm-hmm. on yep. focus, you know, that they're all about maintaining yeah. focus, elevating focus, that sort of thing. And, and so it feels like that that area of products that are that are very niche but geared to that that important consumer segment globally could be something an interesting area to look for inspiration but are there other places that that companies can look to get ideas as to what to do next yeah well i think that just even just talking right then about the different segments that you're looking at because this is such a big area and there's so many different facets that you could play into, you have to know who your consumer is and know who what they're going to be looking for. It's going to be out of touch if you're talking about focus in a product that has nothing to do with that. And it, it just kind of will be jarring to see a brain health claim that doesn't connect. So understanding who's gonna, who's your consumer, what they're looking for in general, and how to dovetail that brain health into that. Um, you know, even pairing up um, you know, kind of speaking more broadly to bigger, um, you know, food or drink companies that aren't maybe in those niche segments, you know, that idea of tying the physical and the mental health together. We see 50% of consumers would like a product that contributes to both their physical and mental health. And, and it's convenient that um, all, a lot of the brain health products or nutrients, I mean, do connect with heart health too. So there's a there's a connection there between heart health and brain health because it's all connected with their vascular system, right? So it's it's that idea of supporting those healthy um, blood flow, really, you know, and getting the the blood to your brain. And there is a connection between heart health and brain health too. So um, yeah, sorry, I went on a little tangent there, but. <laughs> That then makes me think of something else, because originally I was thinking this whole idea of mood and cognition and adaptogens and all of that feels relatively new, but it feels like it's very much something for younger consumers. Mm. But when you're talking about brain health and heart health and the connection there, it feels like then there's a, a huge potential market for like baby boomers who have all of a sudden discovered that they need to start paying attention to these things. Absolutely. Absolutely. They're very connected. And I think it really looks to, you know, just even that conversation about talking about this looks at how we're looking at health differently. You know, we're not necessarily looking at it in silos and in specific disciplines. Like this is just what I have to eat this for my heart. I have to eat this for my bones. You know, it's, it's more of what can I do to be overall healthy and feel my best. And that means the physical health and the mental health. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, I've also seen some of our data. I'm not going to get it exactly right, probably, but I've seen some of our data that indicates that even the youngest consumers, so Gen Z, consumers in their early 20s, are also focused big picture on 
of course, their overall well-being, but things like heart health. And they're looking mm-hmm. to the future. They're looking to optimize their health today to set yeah. them up well for the future. So that to me. Yeah. And that generation. Go ahead more connected to with mental health and awareness and talking about these issues, understanding that it is part of your overall health. So I think that, you know, if you look at those consumers as they grow up, this is going to just be a part of life. It's not going to be a new or kind of alarming thing to talk about that. Mm -hmm. So what would you predict then is ahead when it comes to mood and cognition and all of those ingredients? Yeah, I'd love to see, um, you know, more more talking about ways to support brain health and, and having people engage with that and not be turned off by perhaps some of the, um, you know, the, the disassociation, avoiding that disassociation between your brain and the rest of your body. So I, I'm looking forward to that, seeing people really look at health more holistically and incorporating that. Um, I do think brands should be cautioned not to go too far, right? You're not going to solve everyone's problems with one magic product or one ma- magic beverage and understanding that it's part of a whole system that you're playing into and supporting those different specific needs depending on um, what what formulation you're really working towards. Maybe it's stress relief. Maybe it's a mood boosting. Maybe it's a, a boost of energy with a different source of caffeine. So, you know, recognizing the strengths there and also where you're not, um, you're not playing mm-hmm. it. Try not to, to solve every need for, need for every person. Any last comments that you that you want to make sure you talk about when it comes to the subject? Um, the other area is just, you know, really stress. I don't know if I mentioned that enough, but that idea of stress tying into that and, and looking at ways to support um, that management because that really is really important for, for mental health and especially when we're talking about um, younger consumers too. That's, that's one of the bigger areas is that stress and burnout and, and how that supports that. Um, and really just and staying open and, and eating eating all of your good fruits and vegetables, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's extremely sound advice that all of us should be following. But when we don't eat all of our fruits and vegetables, especially all of those that that help us feel yep. um, better in every in every sense of of that, um, then we've got some other things that we can, some other products that we can lean on that help get us over the hump. Absolutely. Yep. yep. Great. Well, <laughs> Stephanie, I have to say, as always, this has been really informative. So just a couple, just right. a, a tiny bit of a recap for um, everyone who's listening in today. I think some of the big takeaways here our companies really do need to keep an eye on the big overall picture regarding mood, cognition, stress, and those um, ingredients and the, the kinds of products that are appropriate to help address some of those issues. But what's also really important is clear, straightforward communication. Not many consumers know what an adaptogen is, so explain it to them. I think as simple and as straightforward mm-hmm. as that. And I think the one thing that really stands out to me is um, that there's there's room in the marketplace for big companies, little companies, and consumer targets span all ages because everybody is interested in boosting mood, reducing stress, and improving their brain health, even if they don't quite understand exactly what they should do or exactly what that means. So 
Thank you, everyone, for listening. Um, but the conversation doesn't end here. Head on over to Mintel's LinkedIn and Instagram and let us know what you think. We'd love to hear your thoughts about what we've been talking about today regarding mood and cognition. If you want to know more about Mintel, visit Mintel.com and sign up to become a member of the free Mintel Spotlight community. Make sure you never miss an episode. Subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever it is you get your podcasts. Goodbye for now. And we'll catch you next time for a new episode of Little Conversations.